This is iFanboy Special Edition Batman Gotham by Gaslight. Hello, welcome to Special Edition iFanboy, Batman Gotham by Gaslight. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. I'm here with Paul Montgomery. Hello. And Ryan Haupt. Salutations. It's the iFanboy Animation Brain Trust. We've reconvened. We're back. It's the latest, and I noticed this for the first time. They're no longer called DC Universe Animated Original Movies. They're called DC Universe Movies, which seems a little... Yeah, I'm noticing that on the cover here. Okay. A little vague. But in our hearts, there are always the DC Universe animated original films. This is the latest one, Gotham by Gaslight, directed by Sam Liu, written by Jim Krieg, who loves crazy clothing, apparently, according to the documentaries I see him talking. Okay. <laughs> he dresses steampunky. I've, I've, since I've gone to watching these digitally, I've missed some of the like extra features and stuff and the talking heads. I remember them making me wince a lot, but um, yes. they've, there's always usually some interesting nugget of information. Well, this time, in addition to the talk of the next film, which we'll talk about at the end of the show, there was a featurette on the book itself. So that was okay. cool. Well, first, here's a spoiler warning. We're going to spoil the story of the movie and probably also the book because there are some differences. So if you haven't seen the film or read the book, you should do both. By Brian Augustin and Mike Mignola. Right. So that... Let's, let's talk about the book. So the movie is based on Batman Gotham by Gaslight and a little, like a little dollop of Master of the Future, which was the sequel. Right. Yeah. Gotham by Gaslight was a one shot that came out in 1989, the year of the Batman film. We did a lot of special Batman stories. That the year, year of our bat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the first Elseworlds story. Written by Brian Augustin with art by Mike Mignola or Mignola. How, how do we say that? I say Mignola. I can't talk. Words are hard, guys. Inks by P. Craig Russell. Also edited by Mark Wade, really an all-star creative team on the book. The sequel was dropped by Edward Alberto. Was it called an Elseworlds or was it just like retroactively? When it first came out, Elseworlds was not a concept. Okay. But upon subsequent reprints, and they ended up reprinting the two books together as one because they're both really short. So they put them together as one. It was stamped with an Elseworld. So it's considered by DC the first Elseworlds book. So we should say for anyone who's listening who isn't familiar with that term, Elseworlds, alternate reality stories uh, of superheroes. Like the, uh, And now that I say that, there's a lot of alternate reality stories in, <laughs> in superhero comics. But these are the like sort of the extreme ones. So like, like Red Sun is an Elseworlds. Yes. The Nail, I guess. Yeah, that's, yep. that's an Elseworlds. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. And this was, I remember as a kid, I was uh, 12. This blew my mind. I bought it when it came out. Batman in the 1800s fighting Jack the Ripper. What? Yeah. This is, you know, a 12-year-old still being exposed to Mike Mignola's art, who I think, I don't know, I don't remember where this came out in regards to Cosmic Odyssey, but it was around the same period of time in my life. So both those times uh, were sort of my It's sort of that same style of, uh, of early Mignola, what we consider very shadow heavy did you guys i'm assuming you guys read this book ages ago i didn't i didn't read it as i wanted to read it as a refresher but i couldn't find it on my shelf it's a it's a slim volume it gets lost easily even and i have the one that has master of the future bundled with it Mm -hmm. and even then it's a very slim volume and it gets lost kind of easily but yeah i read it i I love the style and it was back when steampunk was still kind of an interesting novelty and not super saturated everywhere 
Right. Ryan, you read it? Uh, so just to annoy you, I watched the movie first and then read it. That's not annoying. I'm oh, here. It's fine. I thought, that would, I thought that would bug you that I that I went to the adaptation before the original source. But yeah, I had not read this huge whiff in my bat knowledge. But the movies drop digitally before you get your old timey discs. So I had plenty of time right. to watch the movie, and then I went ahead and checked out the book before. Uh, Real quick, what were your thoughts on the book? I enjoyed it. It was really good. Yeah, I liked it. It's one of my favorite. The original. The sequel's fun. I did not read the sequel. I got to the end of the original one and I was like, oh, this ended more quickly than I was expecting based on the, yeah. the size of the volume. And then the art changed and I was just like, nah, I'm not going to, not right now. I'm the sequel's fine. It's just, it doesn't have the moodiness that right. Mignola brings. Obviously, Beretto's more of your standard superhero artist, but it's still a fun story. It's a, it's a really great proof of concept and it, and it sort of fits in if, if you haven't read that and maybe you're a Mignola fan coming to this and you've read... What's it? The amazing screw on head or something screw on head, which is sort of a one shot. And also they did an animated version of that with Paul Giamatti, as I recall. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so that, that was that was way back. That may have been like 10 years ago at this point. But yeah, it's it's just it's sort of uh, what you come to Mignola for. There's just like great moodiness and awesome world building. And it feels fresh, even if you're sort of tired of steampunk in the year of our bat 2018. Well, and one of the things <laughs> I really like about Elseworlds generally is, you know, comics are a soap opera and as such, they have to keep going. So they have to keep resetting to the status quo and no one's really allowed right. to age or grow. But when you have mm-hmm. an Elseworlds, you can actually give it finality. And so yes. a lot of Elseworlds stories, I always find it a little ironic that a lot of Elseworlds stories end better than the actual universe that's supposed to be the one that we're more invested in <laughs> so like sometimes characters can have it but this one doesn't is there the gloves come off and like you can break the rules and like you can kill characters you can yeah. twist you know characters allegiances it was sort of the thematic opposite of the marvel what if stories it's a sort of similar like what if captain america took place in the 1800s it, those right. always ended really sadly you know like <laughs> oh this is terrible everyone is dead but here the elseworlds tended to end with hope or at least it's not a happy ending, an up an upswing. Right. There was one I read a lot as a kid where Darkseid intercepts Superman's rocket. And so Kal-El is raised on Apocalypse. And spoiler warning, it has a happy ending, which is hilarious because I'm just like, so the world would be better if Superman had been <laughs> raised by Darkseid and not John and Martha Kent? That's odd. I never thought of it that way, the breakdown between the two publishers like that. But now thinking back on it, that's that's right. With the with the what ifs, it's sort of, it's sort of like... But you gripe about Marvel being this way, but like, what if this had happened? Like, you'd been so much worse off. <laughs> they sort of both reinforce the same idea in, in that the what ifs end, sadly, I think, to show that, you know, the way things actually happen, quote unquote, is the right way to go. And DC's thing mm-hmm. is these heroes will shine through no matter what, you know, no matter what scenario you, you put them in, it'll end happily because their heroism will save the day. Justice finds a way. Right. And so I really enjoyed it. Um, this is I'm looking through the list of all these films, and this is the first straight up Elseworlds. Although I guess technically speaking, The Dark Knight Returns is an Elseworlds story. I mean, I don't know if it has a stamp on it, but it's technically speaking an alternate future. This is, I think, the first straight up Elseworlds. It's the first adaptation, adaptation of an Elseworlds, like Gods and Monsters. I guess could be considered. New Frontier is also kind of an Elseworlds story. Yeah, I mean, it's and Gods and Monsters was, a, was an original thing. Let's talk about the film itself. Okay. What's interesting about this is that even though it is an Elseworlds, it starred Bruce Greenwood has been doing Batman's voice. Yeah, he has. Uh, the better ones. <laughs> yes, that's right. It wasn't... Uh, who's the main guy? 
It Jason wasn't Omar. Jason Amara. Yeah. It wasn't Jason Amara who does his voice in sort of the regular movies. The reg- quote like Batman regular. and Son and, and yeah. yeah. The, the incontinuity Batman voice for these connected films. This is Greenwood who's done a bunch of Batman voices. And I love Greenwood. Slight criticism I thought was that his voice sounded a little too old for the character, which is something we talked about a, a long time ago when they had Kevin Conroy do a super young Bruce Wayne. Right. He sounded a little too aged in his voice for a super young Bruce Wayne. Conceptually or just the way he's designed? I mean, you know, at a certain point, everyone's voice starts sounding a little older. I agree that, you know, he sounds like an, you know, an older gentleman, but like there's nothing wrong with having an older Bruce Wayne in this role. But he like he's sort of a little more fresh faced the way the character is designed. Correct. I think he's meant to be a young 25-year-old Bruce Wayne here. Also, people uh, in the Victorian era, you know, the life expectancy, Brian can back me up on this, like, you know. <laughs> True. Like they they breathe were, a lot of soot in. Yeah, yeah. You're just covered in pollution from the day you're born. Exactly. They should They should have had, like, Harvey Firestein play Batman. Right, exactly. So anyway, Bruce Greenwood as Batman, Jennifer Carpenter, Selena Kyle, Scott Patterson, Luke from Gilmore Girls as James Gordon. Yeah. And uh, Anthony Head as Alfred Pennyworth. Giles from Buffy, Luke from Gilmore Girls. This is speaking to me as a as a teenager. A lot of my my fan favorites. It was a really good cast and some really inspired choices. Uh, so overall, I've quite enjoyed this. I did as well. Same. I thought it was ambitious in all the right ways. It felt more lush. It felt like they really went for it with the animation. It, mm-hmm. I liked the art design a lot. It was mostly the first one. The only real thing I saw from the second book was that the World's Fair was there. Right. That was the big thing. I was like, that was from the second one, wasn't it? Yeah. And it's, I think it's a good pick. Well, other than that, it's, it's basically Batman versus, Batman versus Jack the Ripper who has come to Gotham, uh, or at least someone who is murdering people like Jack the Ripper. So that's the biggest, I think, probably controversy. I don't know that there's a controversy I just, I just in my own head about this movie is that they changed who the killer is. In right. fact, the killer in the book is not even in this movie. Right. So I'm watching, I'm like, when are they going to? I was like, hmm, they're going somewhere <laughs> differently. And I thought I knew what they were going to do. And mm-hmm. they got me. Did you think it was Harvey? I thought it was Harvey because it was like, yeah. it's Harvey Dent. I was like, oh, they're going to do that. But like they, they pulled the rug out from under me. Because so, you know, as a spoiler warning, the killer is revealed to be James Gordon. And I think the reason why that worked for me is because as a Batman guy, I would never, ever suspect. Exactly. That and, it was like, they're, and it was like, they're, they're never going to do that. And that's a thing they did in the marketing for this. I noticed on Twitter, they had like, who's the killer? And it would like shift through like Victorian cameo portraits mm-hmm. of each of the characters. And then it's like, is it Harvey? And then like, it's, it goes around to, uh, to Jim Gordon. And like, if you're just looking at the marketing and I hadn't seen this before, like Jim Gordon looks pretty suspicious in that cameo portrait, <laughs> but watching it and also just conceptually, I never would have guessed that they'd go that route. And I think it was really smart. Instead of having, you know, it was originally it was like Bruce's uncle, right? Yeah, his uncle. Yeah, it was a killer in the book. Uncle Jacob or something, I think. Yeah. And so instead of just introducing this all new character, I think they made some really smart adaptive choices in mashing up the existing stories, taking the concept and running with it, and also coming up with a mystery that they could handily wrap up within their running time. And this is one of the very few DC animated movies where it was like, they hit that running time perfectly. Like it didn't feel like it was too rushed. It didn't feel like they were padding for time on what should have been maybe like a, a 23 minute episode that yep. they stretched out. I felt like it's a very satisfying 
murder mystery with some really good character stuff. And the pacing is very good. I just, I liked it a lot structurally. It all, it felt very, I mean, there was some, obviously some big action sequences, but it felt very much like a drama. Most of it was very heated conversations or very emotional conversations. Ryan, what did you think of the killer reveal? Not having read the book first, um, I didn't know that that was a change from the original story. And I thought they set it up really nicely. If I go back and rewatch this, I'll see things that I didn't see the first time. Like when Jim Gordon hands Batman a letter that he convinced the newspaper not to print. And then Mm -hmm. you realize like, oh, he was just handing him a letter he wrote. That's interesting. You were... You were doubly surprised because you went into the movie fresh. And then when you read the book, I guess you would have assumed that Gordon was the killer again, but you were you were surprised again. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Interesting. It was funny because I was thinking about it after the movie. I was like, well, but uh, Gordon can't be the killer. <laughs> but in a way, that's great because I would think that and then that would be I was I was totally surprised by it. Well, they sort of framed it that he got like his surgery training from being a a war surgeon in the Civil War. And he learned like he had this weird fixation with the camp followers, you know, the women who would follow the troops around. Mm -hmm. Right. Isn't the term hooker named after a Civil War general? I didn't know that, but I don't know. (laughs) So uh, I'll look that up while we while we continue to talk. I don't want to get that wrong. But (laughs) there is there is some Civil War general who Lady of the Evening is named after. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Joseph Hooker. Yeah. The, the woman who followed his army became known as Hooker's Girls. Oh. I thought that was a really cool twist. It set it up really nicely. It was convincing that this guy's zealotry would spill over into his job as a policeman in, in a dirty, grimy city. So I dug it. It's like a really kind of rich backstory of, and it's complicated to talk about because it's like this rich backstory of misogyny, but like there's like, yes. like Krieg came up with like a really robust kind of additions to this like he brought some stuff to it stuff that wasn't in the book but also makes sense for the time is like some very thoughtful stuff also some ver- some very like in the the third act some very difficult to listen to stuff that scott patterson has, has to yell and so that like that part is a bit icky but like but in a, in a, in a purposeful way in a good in a, way in a, in a purposeful way and it's but it's also and it's also balanced out by i think having a a really strong performance from Jennifer Carpenter as as Selena, who yeah. also has a very interesting backstory. I was like, this is a really cool setup for Catwoman. Yeah, it reframes her role in Gotham in a way that makes sense and is interesting. And it makes it easier for you to understand the complicated relationship she has with Batman, because in a world that's this misogynist, of course, anyone who supports women is going to be seen as outside the law. Right. Yeah. So that there's so there's some like suffragette stuff. I, and that was refreshing because the I was a little bit worried with the opening where they have Poison Ivy as sort of a burlesque girl and she wanders into the back streets and turns out she is also maybe offering up her services as a hooker and it's a it's the same old Jack the Ripper story. But then that there's like not every woman in this story is a victim. So you have Selena Kyle as this really interesting entrepreneur who has her own like hotel and she, you know, she's a performer, but she's also, you know, very interested in the suffragette movement and all of her choices are based around protecting other women, like choosing, I'm going to divulge the secret of Bruce Wayne as Batman, but it's, it's because I need him out there 
for the cause. I need him to, right. to stop this guy who is going after and butchering women. And then also you have Sister Leslie, who's a really interesting character too. And I kind of wish there was more of that. They set up a, an interesting addition to the the wrinkle of Bruce's origins where his parents are killed, but he also he was also raised in this orphanage and that's the that's the story, right? He's raised at the orphanage, yeah, and, and yeah. eventually, then eventually he goes out and you know finds his way in the world and comes back to Gotham, and he's giving back to the orphans and to the church that helped him out as a kid. And Alfred's also there as his manservant, and it was like I kind of want, like I want more of this. Like it's a great world, it's a great playground. I mean, we know these movies take a long time to develop, to animate, so. I don't want to say it's fortuitous for them, but the timing on it is actually really right in that uh, in all the things that are happening in society and, and entertainment right now for this movie to come out. That's basically about misogyny. Mm-hmm. And what is the ultimate form of misogyny other than to stab to death women who displease you in any way? Doesn't Gordon call somebody deplorable somewhere in the script? And I, was, I just because I, I remember like they're setting some stuff up that is very timely, but it's, you know, it's it's a coincidence. It's serendipity. I was, I was thinking that at the beginning. It's, it's really it's serendipitous timing for them. As yeah. uh, I mean, you know, you don't want they're not profiting off it. There's a lot of interesting commentary on it. And it, it is a movie as, as about anything. It's about misogyny and the society that it's in. Which makes it all the more. But I mean, it's it's it's, a, it's sort of the same thing as when The Handmaid's Tale came out. It was sort of like right, right, right like right place, right time. Of course, it's sort of evergreen. Right. This has always been a problem, but it's gotten much more mass media uh, attention than it ever has before, and so th- there's this movement. So it's just interesting. There's sort, of, I guess, there's sort of maybe a a public consciousness and all of this is boiling up in the zeitgeist all at once. And so like, I also thought about even unrelated that, you know, the alien is, is coming out as a TV yeah. series. It's out right now. That's very much in the vein of Gotham by Gaslight. Oh, totally. The, it, Hugo Strange is an alienist. And is he called Dr. Strange at one point? Did I hear that? Probably. I mean, he is a doctor, but they do, they, they actually usually go to great lengths in the comics and never call him Dr. Strange. <laughs> the thing I noticed with him is that he looks the most like a Mike Mignola character. Yeah, he does. Like no shoulders whatsoever, terrible posture. And so he, he forms like this lowercase N. And of course the glasses help. Like it's, it's the same thing that, and it was Mignola who came up with that original um, Mr. Freeze design for Batman, the animated series with those, you know, no pupils. You just see the circular uh, right. glowing eyes. And so I, I thought of that as well with that. And I was like, that, that's, they do a really nice balancing act with not totally aping Mignola style, but there's the aesthetic is there. Um, and you sort of can't help it by being in, you know, Victorian era Gotham. It would be great to do more of these in this world. I mean, they probably this world. Yeah. I just, I, I also really liked the chemistry between, um, Selena and Bruce here. Yeah. I mean, we've seen countless iterations of that dynamic throughout the years with different actors and also in the comics, of course, but this one just, it, it felt right. And I liked their flirtation. I liked the, the idea that, um, you know, Bruce has this uh, gentleman's club basically, and only men are allowed to come in and they disguise Selena in like a top hat and stuff. And she's <laughs> like, I'm not entirely convinced your doorman thought I was a man, but <laughs> There's some nice banter between them, and um, it's an, and two interesting backstories. It's really smartly written. Yeah. I like the script a lot. And don't you guys hate it when you're with a lady friend in your carriage and the cops come knocking on the door? It's just so, it's so <laughs> intrusive. Um, 
The more we talk about it, the more I think this is climbing up the ladder of some of the. This is definitely my favorite done. one in a while, and I also thought the fight yeah. scenes were done really well. Yeah, I'm glad you brought. Yeah, that a lot up. of times when Batman fights in these more one set in modern day, you know, he basically is just doing. Uh, Asian influence martial arts in a way that doesn't really work yeah. with physics. And in these, he was much more of a pugilist, you know? Yep. They were big, beefy brawler types. I think you felt the mass of the characters a little bit more. Like you felt the oomph mm-hmm. of the hits and you felt like the heaviness of their clothes. And so I just, I really liked the way that the the fight scenes. Also, it seems like it's a relatively recent development in action sequences, both animated or otherwise. But when the guy has a knife and then you block the arm and then he drops the knife into his other hand, you see him that a lot and it's mm-hmm. cool. And I wish I could learn. <laughs> <laughs> There's that Game of Thrones gif. Arya does, does it. That. Bucky does it at um, one point. It's, 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 yeah, it's all over. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, it's all very, very like, you know, brutal and impactful. And the character designs like like Jim Gordon is a beefy dude. Yeah. And and I also so there were like a couple of different versions of, of his character because like you you see Jack in the beginning and he's just got like his uh, the bottom half of his face covered. But you see the eyes. But then later he he steals that mask from uh, Strange's office yep. and puts that on. And I thought that was a very Mignola looking the creepy scene creepy too. scene. And they're fighting on an unfortunately CG blimp, which <laughs> I was a little annoyed at like Bryn, you know, Victorian era Gotham and it's a CG blimp and some, I think CG handsome cabs. All the vehicles are always CG. Yeah. When it's a car, like you can, and a, or a spaceship, like, okay, sure. I, I understand why you're doing that for budgetary reasons, but like, or like time reasons, but like uh, when it's a horse and carriage, like that kind of bugged me, but it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's not terrible. It's just, it's just sort of like, it takes you out of it for a split second. We should, we should mention that this is R rated. Which I was surprised. It was R-rated. Yeah, I, I don't know if you guys got the the rating screen like I did, but I mean, uh, it felt R-rated. It was pretty bloody. There was some language, and I mean, you know, Gordon burns to death at the, the end. Intensity. I, that, that moment when he just starts backing up, like, oh shit, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and it, like in kind of um, I mean, a lot of these animated movies have had like cool moments and stuff. We're like, oh, cool. Um, that looks neat. But like, th- there are moments in this where there's like a a pause or a silence that is used to really great effect. Like him doing that, like the clink of the the cuffs against the bar and then him just stepping backwards and then laughing maniacally in the fire. But like in a, in like a good scary way, not like a Looney Tunes kind of way. Right. It was very intense. And then there's a great moment. We haven't talked too much about uh, Anthony Head's Alfred, Alfred yet, but he's fantastic. One of my favorite Alfreds. And there have been he some had kind of a Tim Curry like, vibe going. I can see that. I didn't even know it was Anthony Head until I saw the credits. I didn't either. And then I was watching the credits. So I was like, I wanted to see, okay, who was Jim Gordon and who was Alfred? I was like, whoa. Never would have guessed, but they, they were great. Let's talk about him and the Robins in a second. But before, oh, just, yeah. to, just to button up the ratings, I thought this was one of the more adult ones they've done. I mean, mm-hmm. these are aimed at adults, but this is the more, and I mean, by adult, I mean mature as we talked about before, some very interesting and deep themes about society and about gender. I mean, it's a little sexy. It's a little violent. It's a little languagey. I mean, if this one felt the most like an adult film yeah. that wasn't a porn film. I honestly. mean, that initial scene with Poison Ivy and the stabbing, I mean, that's brutal. Like that, it was not pleasant yeah. to watch. And I was frankly surprised how, like they didn't, you know, they pulled back a little bit on how violent they could have made it, but I was still surprised by how violent it was. 
Let's do a From Hell one. Anybody? I'd be, I'd be into that. This made me want to reread From Hell. Full on faithful adaptation of From Hell. So uh, one of the things they added to the movie, I think they added, I don't remember this being in the book. I don't think it was in the book, was the three Robins and the three orphans, the three urchins uh, who are Robins. start as sneak thieves, as pickpockets on the streets. Dickie, Jason, and Timmy. Fagin's boys. And uh, working for Big Bill Dust. They end up being uh, saved by Alfred. Not saved, but rehabilitated. They, first Batman beats up Big Bill Dust, and they're, so they're on their own. And then on their own, they try to pickpocket Alfred, and he ends up, of course, turning the tables on them and hiring them to do some work and feeding them. And they so they become sort of his little sidekicks. And, so like the, the Baker Street Irregulars. I liked that a lot. Even if – I liked that – you know, Tim obviously had dark hair. Jason had kind of reddish hair, which makes sense because he was originally mm-hmm. redhead in the comics. But I don't know why Dickie had light hair, too. I thought he should have had dark hair. But again, that's just... He had um, longer hair. He had like the animated series mullet. Yeah. That's just me struggling to find something to criticize about this movie. It would be that I, I didn't like Dick's hair color. He was also color. kind of like dumpy. <laughs> like he, he didn't look like the most athletic of them, I will say. He hasn't hit puberty and really stretched out yet. He hasn't found his... his like, he body. has, like, short little legs and, like, a long torso is sort of my impression. But anyways... They were a fun little element to the story. It's a really neat idea. And, yeah, and I like I like the idea that Bruce is able to send a message like that to Alfred and be able to interpret it. There's a nice dynamic there. I love the moment where, you know, Alfred goes to to check on, on Bruce after Sister Leslie has died. And, you know, the clock goes aside, the grandfather clock, and he goes not down, but up to the <laughs> attic. And so it's sort of like the bat belfry or something. Right. And uh, there's just a, a, a nice moment uh, between the two of them. And uh, you can tell there's some history there. And it's like, they only have like a couple of minutes of screen time together as just the two of them. But just the way it was scripted, you feel that history. And it's not just resting on the shoulders of giants. You know, it's not just all the Batman stories that came before. I think it's something that like stands by itself. So I was, yeah. So I think we're, we were all pretty enamored of this world and just the dynamics between all the characters. Yeah. Any um, final thoughts on the film? I really enjoyed it. I think everyone should check it out. I'd love to hear what the community and the iFan base thinks of it. Yeah, I want to. I want to. I want to hear what what people have been saying because um, just in looking at some of the reactions, it's a bit divisive. There are people who don't like this one at all. It's so strange. I think this is. I mean, I guess you could not like the story. That's totally uh, sure. But I think from uh, objective standpoint, I think the production value of this is so much higher than some of the other I, ones. I, and, I, and I can certainly also understand being turned off by Jim Gordon screaming, you know, slut. And listen, I had a hard time with that for five minutes, but I got over it. Not just that it's Jim Gordon, but just like Not that Jim you Gordon. have that you have such a misogynist character. And if you're like done with, uh, I will say, if you're sort of done with, you know, Jack the Ripper, like torturing women movies like i can understand if you want to avoid this one but also if you are tired of steampunk don't let that be a turnoff it's not so much steampunky well i think when you hear gotham by gaslight and victorian yeah. era stuff like you think it's going to be one thing but it's that they, they tone it down but batman doesn't even have like steampunky gadgets really it's just it's just really set in 1800s and it's no more steampunk than than sherlock holmes is steampunk i don't think it's there's just, anything you know. even steam powered in the whole movie no, there's a blimp think. there's electric light there's a ferris wheel and some carriages like he's got his little grappling hook thing and that's about it and other than that it's just victorian era i don't think 
people are burnt out on steampunk as a technology. It's more as an aesthetic because sure. it gets put up. It's like, you know, steampunk, you know, Harley Quinn and stuff like, like it's, it's like all over the place and it just, mm-hmm. you know, everything's jetpacks and goggles and all that stuff. And you can be a little burnt out on what kind of exciting world are you living in with jetpacks and goggles everywhere? <laughs> I'm just saying at like conventions, it's like it's a very All big right. cosplay thing. And After it was, the show's over, are you going to go fly somewhere in your jetpack? I've been I thinking about so. blimps a That's lot awesome. since watching this. Mostly, how do you land a blimp? How does it get back down to the ground? I've only seen them going down in flames. Yeah, you set That's it on fire. <laughs> so it's a single-use blimp. It's a one-time, one-time blimp. Okay. Very inefficient. Also, uh, I looked it up. I did a little more reading while we were talking, and uh, I was slightly off about the term hooker originating from that general. It was already in common usage, but the joke did write itself when he did have a group of women following around his army. People did use it as a joke okay. at him. So you guys, you obviously didn't see this, the featurette on the next film. Do you, you know what the next film Suicide is? Suicide Squad. Could you I, make I knew there's a couple in the works. That's right. Suicide Squad Hell to Pay comes out in April. And then there's Which Death of Superman. That far away. That's it two months. Ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then followed by Superman. But the next film is interesting because it's Alan Burnett's final. Oh, interesting. He wrote it and then he, he's retired since then. So that was the only thing I was watching it. Like, oh, I don't care about the Suicide Squad. And then it was like, it's Alan Burnett's. He wrote it. It's his final film. I was like, okay, well, I mean, that's at least an interesting you know, now, thing to note. Is it a direct sequel or is it? Just another Suicide Squad movie. Here's the thing, Paul. Would you be like if you saw it? Would you be able to tell? Like, do you remember the first one well enough no. to know or care? <laughs> this is no. this, this is supposedly not a sequel. If you recall, and you may not because you may have blocked it out of your memory, except for Ryan right. left it. Batman Assault on Arkham, the previous Suicide Squad film, was set in the Batman Arkham video game world. Right, and this isn't? And this is set in a nebulous DC Universe animated world. Okay. This is sort of the official Suicide Squad of the current shared universe, animated universe. I'm not, you know, like, just by principle against the Suicide Squad, because the Suicide Squad has quite a legacy of, you know, good stories. Sure. And interesting characters, and it's a cool concept. Um, It's just when they're pushing... Suicide Squad, the way they are sometimes, and sort of the attitude of Suicide Squad in the, you know, mm-hmm. d- in the in the DC exp- extended universe cinematic world. Like I'm kind of down on that, but like I'm not. 100% How many years ago did the movie come out? Was it 15 years ago? Which one? Oh, the, the the live action one or the yeah. past animated ones? They had live action one. Was it two years ago? Three years I still ago? have not seen it. I feel like they should have. I feel like this one could have been put in a turnaround. I mean, I mean that movie kind of blew up in everybody's faces. I don't. I mean, I, clearly they were, as we know. Well, they're doing like five sequels to it. They want to do, you know, a Joker movie. They want to do a Harley uh, Quinn movie. Stop it! Stop it! Just, I don't want to go and leave the show to Gotham. They're still doing a Gotham Sirens movie, which is so separate I, from I, well, a Harley Quinn movie. Anyway. I think everything's up in the air now that they've changed the leadership at Warner Bros. Anyway, the point right. is. Uh, this one may be up your guy's alley, although it's definitely up Ryan's alley. I was know because he loved the last one. Um, uh, the story of this one is sort of the classic. Uh, there's an object that everyone's racing to get. Okay. Story, and they are doing it. And there's a. It looks like it's them versus like the, an all star squad of DC villains trying to get this item. So I'm looking at the cast list and I'm seeing like I don't I don't want to ruin it, but I'm seeing I'm seeing an all star squad of some of our favorite DC villains. So Can we see who the team is. Well, the team is your standard Deadshot, 
Um, I don't know Bronze- that there's a standard anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's your Deadshot, Harley Quinn, Bronze Tiger, Captain Boomerang, Killer Frost, and Copperhead. Okay. And Amanda Waller is obviously leading the team. Um, but they're up against sort of an all-star squad of, of villains. So, I mean, that could be interesting. It could be fun. Alan Burnett is a good writer. Um, and we'll, so we'll be talking about that in April. It comes out March 27th, digitally, April 10th on Blu-ray. Okay. We'll be reconvening for that. And then the first remake has been going on so long that they're going to now start <laughs> remaking around. themselves in true Hollywood fashion. The first film out of the gate for this line of Superman Doomsday, which was an adaptation of the Death of Superman storyline. We're going to get a two-part Superman, Death of Superman, and then Re- Reign of Superman movie sometime later in the year. Do we have confirmation on whether we're getting 90s Superboy yet or not? This is very important. <sighs> Round glasses, floppy hair, yeah, yep, uh, leather jacket, yep. Superboy. Yeah, that's what we want. We need it, DC. Listen to us. We are the brain trust. I don't like (laughs) full on, like no half measures. He should constantly be making 90s references. Calling things radical and extreme. So that's set to come out the first part, end of 2008. The second part begin 2019. So we can look forward to that. The Animated Brain Trust. If you want to talk about this film, go to ifanboy.com. There'll be a post for this show. And we'll be back in April for the next one. But we'll be back before then talking about a different kind of movie. And I'll leave that as a tease. Coming soon. So, Batman, Gotham, my gas lamp. Enjoyed it. Damn it. I went all the way to the end of the show and I called it gas lamp. <laughs> I was being so good about it. Gotham, my gaslight. I really enjoyed it. One of the best ones in a while, as Ryan said earlier. Yeah. Check it out. I'm Connor. I'm Ryan. I'm Paul. What's easy in the night is always such a bite in the morning light. <laughs> What I've got Such a mixed up mind Such a mixed up mind I just realized Why sirens are called sirens Because much like the sirens of myth They call out to you Oh boy It just clicked You're saying saying like emergency sirens Yeah like emergency sirens And then you've got like the sirens from Odysseus Right and they would sing to you to get you to come come hither but it was really a warning how many years of school did you go to i'm still in, i'm still going you just figured yeah you're still going. yeah but i still make connections all the time <laughs> okay yes, like manatees true. are in the group serenians and i put that together with the whole manatee mermaid connection years ago right so just had a few more connections to make to get to the alarms all right because that's they said like manatees are probably what the sailors were seeing when they thought they saw mermaids that is that is one of the theories they were looking at not dolphins, but manatees and dugongs. It was probably a bit of all of those. Yeah, it probably wasn't just manatees. They're all the same. They're all the same group. They're all. The same I assume it was also mermaids. Also, real mermaids. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, but the mermaids would hide behind the manatees because the manatees are big enough to hide two or three mermaids. There used um, to be one called the Stellar Sea Cow. It was humongous. Uh, it probably couldn't even submerge. Like it probably was had so much blubber that it was forced to float all the time and was apparently delicious and it is now extinct. If we don't stop you, would you just keep going forever? Oh, like yes. A hundred percent.